Hello, I am Dr. R.J. Weber, and I am fortunate to be the superintendent of the Northville Public Schools here in beautiful Northville, Michigan. We're just outside of Detroit for those listening to us around uh, the world. Uh, for those of you in Michigan, I'm sure you know where that is. We truly pride ourselves in advancing our tradition of excellence by opening up a world of possibilities for each of our students. And we thank you for joining this episode of Mustang Moments, where we have casual conversations with students, staff, community members, and beyond. Uh, we try to stay curious around here and also acknowledge and respect the fact that it's truly the people who make this an amazing school district. And this is our way to share their stories with each of you. Thank you. Hello, this is Dr. R.J. Weber. I have the privilege of being the superintendent of the Northville Public Schools in Northville, Michigan. And we have started a podcast uh, really just to focus on being curious and really digging into uh, what makes a public school district tick and what makes one that's been around for 150 years? Who are the people who make that district? I remember a history professor once pointing uh, at a door and saying to, to me, you know, RJ, have you ever seen a government walk through a door? Have you ever seen a number walk through a door? And I was confused. And his whole notion was that people walk through doors and people are quote unquote the government or a number, they are the story. And so this is an opportunity that we have to learn about what makes Northville uh, what it is, is a school system. And those are the people that populate our system and do good work for each other and for kids. And I could not think of a better person to start with than a gentleman that I was introduced to uh, my opening day, I've been here six months. And that's our band director. And our band director, Mr. Rumbell, has been here for 49 years, I believe. Well, since 72. Since 72. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I even did my student teaching here. So it's an, it's an interesting story because I would, uh, went to the University of Michigan and I had just gotten off the plane from doing the Rose Bowl, where Michigan lost to Stanford 13 to 12, doggone it. And so uh, I, I enter my house get a phone call from my advisor, Jim Frosseth, and he said, Mike, Monday you'll report to Northville, and I've never left. Wow. That, so this is already starting off beautifully. <laughs> so, Mike, where did you grow up? Like, where were you, where were you born and raised? I'm a Livonia kid. Okay. So I went to Livonia Franklin, and uh, Livonia was a red-hot school district at the time, a terrific staff of um, musicians that were the teachers. And I started, I was a flute player in fourth grade. And uh, my band teacher was Benny Moon, and uh, who I maintained a relationship with for years and years. And um, so I, I, that's where I started. Now I got to seventh grade and there were 13 flutes in the band. And I'm looking around and there's one trombone player. And I look at my back behind me and, and the poor kid just couldn't play a note. And I said, thought, you know, I think I can play better than he can right now. We don't need 13 flutes, so I'll play trombone. So I picked up the trombone over the summer and the rest is history because that's my main instrument. So tell me um, a bit, I'm always really curious about how the influences of whether it's parents or relatives impacted 
your ability to not only produce music, but to understand that beautiful universal language that music was. So anything about maybe uh, grandparents, uncles, aunts, parents that you kind of reflect on and say, yeah, I can see where my love started. Oh, yeah. uh, my uh, grandfather, my, my mother's father, uh, Andrew Lindsay, was uh, sort of a golden boy of the family, and he could have been a professional golfer or a concert pianist, but he ended up being an architect. He ended up working for Albert Kahn. Yeah, big time. And he actually designed the Belle Isle Bridge. I had stumbled upon uh, some of his drawings and I couldn't believe what I was seeing because it was all kinds of styles and executed wonderfully well. And so uh, uh, that's definitely a spot where music came from. My aunt, my great aunt, uh, was a piano player in one of the silent movie theaters. So you had to be able to play a lot of notes to get through that gig for sure. So, uh, but that's, uh, it, it, the music talent skipped a generation, though my mother had a really beautiful voice. She didn't do anything with it. So, uh, but uh, uh, I, it was an interesting, my, my, my parents always treated me uh, with a certain benign neglect and just allowed me to make my mistakes. And uh, that was huge. No criticism, just really nothing other than, oh, uh, did you practice today? Oh, just wondering, you know, pretty, pretty uh, even keel in that sense. So they didn't have to encourage me because I was there. Uh, and uh, it was interesting because I would open my window and practice my trombone in my bedroom. And little did I know that kitty corner from my house was one of the genius jazz great trombonists in the area, a guy named Stu Saunders. And he actually was auditioning me for future work. And I eventually made the, made the big time and uh, played with, uh, my first gig was with uh, a guy that played lead tenor for Glenn Miller's band, Tex Beneke. And uh, I went on from there. I've been in Julie Andrews Orchestra, Sammy Davis Jr. I've been on all kinds of recordings. I'm on a Aretha Franklin recording. Uh, I used to play at her parties and her birthday parties. And uh, when I was uh, about 1967, uh, it was becoming popular because of Motown to add horns and strings to a rock album, a rock, rock track. And so a friend of mine, Larry Prentice, who I still uh, use in some of our shows, uh, he got some stuff together and we started recording and putting sort of sweetening was what it was called. And so we did all that stuff down at Pac, Pac 3 Studios in Dearborn which still exists. Mike, I got to tell you right now, you've come out of the gate <laughs> so strong. <laughs> like, uh, so, uh, you know, Albert Kahn, you know, for people who don't know who Albert Kahn is, the Fisher Building, yeah, uh, GM World Headquarters. I mean, you're talking about one of the iconic architects of the world and that grandpa was really good at golf and really a great pianist, but eh, why not just go work with Albert oh, yeah. Kahn as well? Like, yeah. And he started at the bottom. He started as a draftsman. He sounds like his... a Renaissance man, oh, like yeah. a type oh, of guy yeah. who could do, and now I'll never cross the Belle Isle bridge <laughs> and not think of him. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And that idea of benign neglect that you talk about as well. And I, I'm going to guess that, that, some of that really influenced your teaching and your impact as a oh, yeah. teacher. Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh uh, yeah. 
freedom. Freedom, freedom to fail. To just express. You to, know? To, to express, to fail, to try. Well, right. To allow yourself to make a mistake. Forgive right. yourself of your mistakes. Understand that the greatest musicians in the world are that way because they have made more mistakes than anyone else. And they may do it hanging out their window like you were, or they may do it in their basement. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, and I think of Motown, uh, I think of like James Jamerson. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Absolutely. You know, when yeah. people listen to the Jackson 5 or they listen to that iconic bass tone, most people in the world don't realize that that was Detroit. That oh, yeah. was James oh, Jamerson yeah. oh, who yeah. did things with the bass guitar. And there, there are a series of three books out that he wrote, and I they're available on, on how to do the stuff that he was doing at Motown. Just beautiful. Oh, and, yeah. and that's the other part, right? Like Solovonia, Detroit, uh, really being the epicenter of that Motown sound and music in general. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, sure. is, is just incredibly powerful being in, um, in, an, in an environment where you could do that. So I want to hear a little bit more about the the gentleman who was listening to you when you were practicing. Oh, sure. Tell me about him. Sure. Well, Stu, um, <laughs> his day gig was uh, uh, selling dental supplies, and he had a route uh, of dentist dentist offices. And what that enabled enabled him to do was to free up his schedule, so he could do jobs in the afternoon. He could be at rehearsals and all kinds of things, which is generally when rehearsals are held for shows. So he was freed up to do that. Uh, and he was amazing. He was absolutely unbelievable. Terrific reader, uh, terrific ensemble person, but a terrific soloist and was one of the most respected arrangers. And uh, he because he would correct his own pieces as uh, if he would bring a new chart in, something that he wrote, and something didn't sound right, he'd immediately correct. And he wouldn't he wouldn't have any problems with that. Or there was no ego there. Never fall in love with anything that you write is is the is the theory. So uh, but Stu was I, I was fortunate to inherit some of his things. And when he passed and I I found out the genius was the genius of hard work. He we would spend hours writing hours practicing, listening, and uh, it all paid off. It's a great guy. There are so many <clears throat> absolute gems in what we've already said in our first few minutes, and I, I really do feel like wanting to make sure we shine a light on, you know, your upbringing, your background, now as I sit and listen to you for a few minutes, exemplifies in my mind what master teaching is. Uh, try, begin anywhere fail. I love the notion what Stu would say, uh, don't don't fall in love with your own pieces or yeah. work like oh, that. Yeah. Like oh, it yeah. can always be better oh, or yeah. can be changed yeah. in that part of it. So then you went to Ann Arbor and did your undergraduate work. You were, actually went out to the Rose Bowl at Pasadena yeah. and there you come back and they're like, hey, are you ready? We got, we got a place for you to do your student teaching on Monday. You have to show up to Northville. And so being a Livonia boy, you knew where Northville was. Yeah, oh, sure. So oh, tell sure, us a little sure. bit about what Northville was like back in the day in those early 70s. Well, uh, things were changing. 70s were certainly tumultuous in a lot mm -hmm. of ways. Um, the 60s were, uh, uh, the 60s I don't think really happened around here until 1965. And I'm talking about the general Southeastern Michigan and all that. And um, well, with, <laughs> With so many things changing, 
educators had to have an answer for what was going on. Student protests. They never had student protests. Things like, and I actually had this, look out, long hair. What do you do with people with long hair? Because I come from a very conservative upbringing. Uh, I, most of my musical contacts were conservative with the exception of the rock and roll folks. And uh, going to Michigan and going into a administrative culture that was very conservative. Uh, so uh, I, I was uh, the director of the band at the time was uh, one of the greatest ever, William D. Ravelli. And uh, he was an old Italian gentleman, and uh, he was tremendous, a tremendous teacher. Uh, he was a tyrant. Uh, he had his standards, and you did not go below them. There was, there was no leeway in that. And uh, he actually one time um, I just happened to uh, pass him in the hallway, and uh, uh, I, he said hello, and I said hi, and he said, well, you know, uh, then the band was going to go to Europe for a month. It was his swan song, his, his mandatory retirement. So he said, uh, well, you know, you might have to cut your hair if you uh, go to Europe. And I said, well, it, that'd be okay. And he said, you're a fine young man. Thank you. <laughs> so so that was uh, one of those things that we don't even think two seconds about these days. That was a huge issue. The other thing, which is very interesting, is... I was in the last all-male marching band at Michigan. Wow. Then we integrated next year. Oh, we had African-American young men. We didn't have any women. And that was huge. That was a huge deal. Uh, feminists on campus were raising a ruckus, as they should. We always thought the guys never had a problem with it in, in terms of... We marched with them last year in high school. Why can't they march now? Right. You know, they were good. Mm -hmm. You know, why not? And uh, unfortunately, they, they kept sending, feminists kept sending um, uh, really unqualified musicians to audition. And so they could all easily say, well, you're, you're not up to the standard mm -hmm. and da, 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 da. But eventually that changed, fortunately. Mm -hmm. And having to go through that cultural shift for that band program was really, really uh, uh, an amazing process. So as a historian myself, you know, the flood of memories you're bringing to me and I'm sure you're going to bring to the listeners, you know, I think for this generation who you and I serve today, right? Which, mm -hmm. you know, thankfully it is a podcast, so uh, people can't see how little hair we do have left. <laughs> uh, but uh, we were young once. And, uh, but part of that as well is things that people take for granted today that not that long ago people had to fight for. Oh, that's true. And, and it just, it really gives me pause. But the other part that really is resonating with me right now is you coming into a public school environment and a comment that you made a little bit back saying, as a public educator, you had a bit of an obligation to help make sense of the world to the kids. Yeah. And, it, and it was a world that was changing at that time radically. Right, right. And you were in the middle of it. Oh, yes. And I'm sure the questions that you that you got from kids or things of that nature were things as a young man yourself. I mean, back yeah, then, yeah, um, yeah. you were in your early 20s and not, frankly, very much older than no, the seniors no. you were serving. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, it was uh, <laughs> one of the things that struck the kids was I was more like them than the rest of the faculty. And that was huge. 
that was huge. And uh, um, I had not thought about that before, but looking at them at the time, I, I guess I am different looking. You know? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Uh, but that helped uh, sort of grease the skids and, and uh, able to make uh, pretty good connections with, uh, with kids. And, so when you um, came to Northville, where were you physically? Where was your classroom back in the early 70s? What building or what property? Well, it was the old, old high school on Hill, on the Hill. So what is currently Hillside Middle correct, School? Correct, correct. And uh, uh, that, was, that was it. And of course, we still, you know, we we were uh, uh, playing football across the street, mm. you know, and all of that. So, uh, but I look at that facility, and even going back, you know, just a few years back, you know, before they they rearranged and demolished and whatever, I still can't believe we were able to do the job that we did in that facility. Uh, the auditorium, which sounded good, was really not suited for much other than public speaking. So we would have our band, orchestra, or not orchestra, but but uh, choir concerts, dramas, our musicals. Uh, I'm I'm amazed that we got through what we got through, but uh, but the challenge, I mean, it was uh, you had to be creative, mm -hmm. and so that's that's what what you know ruled the day, the creativity, you know. So we were able to get through that way. And my feeling in in my short time in Northville is I, I see that uh, we have the generosity, the Lapham Foundation oh, yeah. that's there. There's actually a, an office in this uh, particular space that we're in that's named the Lapham Curve. Yeah. Uh, it, the the belief and the feeling that music and the arts are important to this community is something I can see from the theater downtown to the Tipping Point Theater to the excitement of people when they see the marching band, when they hear music. And we were talking before we went on air, one thing that people might not know is that a tradition on opening day here in Northville is that Mr. Uh, Rumbell's drumline finishes out our welcome back by coming into the auditorium. And it is a very kinetic, obviously percussive, uplifting experience, but undeniably the high point and the favorite aspect of coming back to school for any <laughs> staff member I've, I've spoken with, right? Yes. So the, the notion of your role in music and what that plays in our community public schools, the parades, I mean, how many parades do you think that, that you and your, your team have been part oh, of? Oh, gosh. Well, 50 times. Uh, let's see. We do homecoming, uh, Memorial Day, 4th of July. Uh, and uh, Victorian, I mean, it's that's a lot. It's a lot of stuff, and it's a lot. And and the it really is a lifestyle. You know, I it have, I have the is. privilege of doing this work for thirty years, and one of the behind the scenes pieces is the fact that uh, marching band, especially, is very much you are you're like a, a general of of a small army. You're talking about food, you're talking about equipment, <laughs> you're talking about transportation, you're talking about uniforms, you're I mean it it can go on and on and on. And oh, one yeah. of the things that that really why you came to mind for us on one of our very first podcasts is the absolute unmitigated joy you have 49 years in that your love of teaching and music and service is all so incredibly strong, which is why I wanted to ask you about your upbringing. I was just curious, <laughs> like, you know, kind of house did you grow up in and where where were you? As we look at your your path here, is there any particular uh, 
band that you had, and I'm sure you loved all of them. It's like when you have multiple kids, they're all your favorite. But it, was there a particular year or couple of years where for whatever reason, everything fell together in, in whether it was uh, musical talent, whether it was spirit of the, the mm -hmm. kids that you had, whether it was circumstance, is there any particular era or group that you look back on and say, wow? Oh yeah. Um, one, there, there are two. Um, one is a continuous um, set of performances by our jazz ensemble at the Detroit Jazz Festival. And it's like, we're over 38 years. We have performed there for more times than any professional or amateur group. And uh, right now I'm picking my job off the table and <laughs> put it back in. Wow. Uh, yeah. And the, the other thing was um, when Cook was a uh, regular old middle school, I had a couple of middle school bands that I would put up against anyone. And we had the right combination of kids, the right combination of circumstance. And uh, it was, I actually inherited uh, the band from uh, uh, one of my colleagues, John Mason, who ultimately went to Celine. Uh, and uh, the, this band was ready to go. And they bought into everything that I said completely. And uh, we played at the uh, Midwest Conference in Ann Arbor and Hill Auditorium. You know, so here are 35, 38 middle schoolers playing on the stage of Hill Auditorium for music educators. And uh, uh, we had groups that we, I had several groups that were even better than that. And the real neat part of it was normally you have to apply to do that. They came to me. Wow. MSBOA called me up and said, gosh. You know, you, we got to have your band. So it was fun. It was well, fun. And as an alumni of the University of Michigan, if, if uh, the listeners out there have never been to Hill Auditorium, it, it's one of these real <clears throat> iconic places to see oh, performances. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The sure. acoustics, the feel when you yeah. walk into it. But I can't imagine being a middle schooler. And the teacher who believes in you said, you can do this. You're going to be all right. Yeah. Let's get up on stage. Let's knock it out. They'll never forget that. I mean, that no. is that is that beautiful circle that amazing educators like you provide students in, in a place like Northville. I'm literally getting goosebumps thinking about all the kids that you and your teams have touched and worked with and made a true difference in. Before we went on, we talked a little bit how you, music is really a universal language and one that if you're fortunate enough to learn and be able to play that level of expression uh, that you get out of it. When you're choosing music for your students, or actually I should say, I don't know how it's chosen, but I know this year there was a 007 theme, for instance. Right. Um, how, how do you all come up with, okay, this will be our theme for this particular season? Right. right. Well, think of the person that has uh, a hot dog and a Coke in the middle of a football game and they're watching and they're munching away, what do they want to hear? And so uh, something that's familiar, something that has some sort of current vibe to it. And it doesn't actually have to be like that year, but within the past few years that people can identify. So for marching band, familiarity, something that's, yeah, I call it happy music, uh, that has a has an up vibe to it. 
Uh, and there are a lot of styles that you can choose from. So that's uh, the, 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 whole, the whole palette is available. So you pick and choose from there. And I like to, uh, we like to do the same halftime show for each halftime. Uh, but I do, uh, not a lot of bands do this now, but this is part of my old school showing. Uh, we do a pregame where we, you know, march with a traditional march, usually a Sousa march that we often will play at the Victorian Festival. And because Sousa, there's no more Victorian person in America than John Philip Sousa was. But, uh, uh, and then we change the repertoire. We stand, park and play, you know, your favorite rock, little old rock tune, whatever, something familiar, maybe a couple of them. And then we do a, a, a post game where we park and play again, but it's much more elaborate. And uh, normally I have the marching band prepare about an hour's hour and a half worth of music per season so we can do like 28 tunes and just go one one from one to the next without hesitating and uh in our band ram our, our our concert we just had this past friday uh one of the perks of being in the the leadership of the band is you get to conduct one of those pieces on the performance and I will have multiple conductors because we normally have multiple conductors for the big group anyway. So uh, we get four kids up there and they conduct one of the pieces that they like. So, uh, you know, it's fun. Well, so uh, as an educator, one thing I heard you say is, you know, we talk a lot about um, the design process and, and you hear it often in, in STEAM conversations. And in one of the key aspects of, of any good designer is empathy. Empathy, oh, yeah. though, in a way, we think of empathy as empathy, you know, like being kind, but the other way to look at it is, what does your customer want? Yeah. Or what do they need? And yeah. when you start the conversation off with, well, we try to think if you're sitting there and you're munching on a hot dog and having a Coke, like, you know, what will you enjoy? And to me, that speaks volumes about who you are. Uh, that notion of getting people what they need, uh, not your ego, not, not, this is what we will do because this is quote unquote <laughs> true music or whatnot. Right? right. But let's go ahead and give the folks what they want and, yeah. and let's yeah. enjoy doing that and provide some joy yeah. in people's oh, lives. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. And that's, that's a pure entertainment situation. Mm -hmm. Now for the other groups, yeah, um, it's a little different process because the level of music is that, that our upper band plays is of professional level music. So our upperclassman, Symphonic Band 1112, regularly plays repertoire of the Detroit Symphony. So uh, that's a little bit different story. I'm a little more like, what great piece of music fits our strengths and hides our weaknesses? It's like a football coach. It's the same idea. What's going what's gonna to get it there? And playing that music, you're going to reach the audience with that kind of approach. Um, jazz is sort of the same idea. We play professional level arrangements almost exclusively. Uh, takes time, takes a lot of technique, but the kids are so enthusiastic, they, they can't wait to practice it. They can't wait to play it. And when I'm before class, I just sort of observe and see who's doing what. They're playing it on their own, individually and, and together. 
So uh, those are those are big big issues. Those are strong points, and the kids, uh, you know, the these professional charts sound great. They are worth your time. Wow. You know, and you were talking about Shostakovich before. Well, we've done the finale to Fifth Symphony. Wow. We've done those kinds of things. We've done Festive Overture and some of the other things like that that transcribe from orchestra very well. And so, uh, you know, we're right with you. Oh, and, you know, for, for this is like, a, I feel like this is a behind the scenes. You know, when you go to hear something, you, I think lay people like myself don't understand all the different things that go into it. Like just the choice, maybe assessing what are my horns like this year? Uh, what What is the percussion section like this year? What adjustments do I need to make in order to, um, to do, have these kids in the best possible oh, yeah. spot? So you're oh, yeah. constantly assessing. Right, it's position, player mm -hmm. position. Okay, mm -hmm. I need uh, X number of tubas. I need X number of trombones, euphoniums. I need some kids to play some bass clarinet. How am I going to get them there? Uh, we got contra clarinets too. Ooh, but they're really attractive. Let's see who we can put on here, et cetera, et cetera, all the way down the line. You're always looking for that thing. And it is very much like uh, recruiting for a sports team. It is very much like that. And, and so I'm sure one of the things that helps to keep it fresh as well as every single year, you're doing that assessment. All right, so oh, I had yeah. some seniors graduate, so oh, I yeah. lost a couple of contras. Absolutely. So now I got to figure out who's Absolutely. coming in. How? Well, and then the internal change where my this year's four drum majors are all four of my strongest players. Three are trumpet players, lead melodic instruments. How do I replace them on the field because they're doing this and conducting right. gestures on the sideline? So that's part of the issue too, as as jobs shift. In in a high school uh, situation, it's not as if you're a at the university where you could actually genuinely actively recruit. Oh yeah, the the pieces you need. Instead, you have to look at that every year and think, okay, who do I have? Yeah. How does this oh, fit yeah. the music? Oh yeah. How we're going to execute? And I think that's where I would respectfully say, and, and it's not a value judgment, it's just the fact that the work that our public schools do and public educators do at this K-12 level and at, at what we're talking about, the 9-12 level, I really believe it requires so much more flexibility. It's not a judgment again, but just more flexibility and agility because every year literally is a different oh, it is. of talent. It's a different animal. Yep. It's a different, and that's that's what makes it such a challenge. You know, the thing with the 38 years or whatever in jazz, that's unheard of. And it's that issue because your talent's going to go up and down. Ooh, how are you going to figure that out? And there are a lot of folks that have a, a real tough time doing it. Uh, we'll shift a little bit here. I'm curious, is there a particular, just you personally, a concert that you've attended where you left it and literally pinched yourself because you realized you just saw oh yeah amazing greatness in oh, yeah. a way that sure sure well my uh my heroes uh musically in the 60s growing up as a 10 to 20 year old consisted of a trumpet player named doc severinson on the tonight show johnny carson uh and uh, uh trombonist named irby green who was the number one recording trombonist in New York, had his own big band, had his small groups, uh, iconic player. Uh, and the other one that, that's really my number one because of the nature of what he did is Maynard Ferguson. And Maynard was accepted not only as an incredibly 
fabulous trumpet player, but as a fine trombonist, he also played euphonium, he played French horn, unheard of, absolutely unheard of. And the first time I heard him at Clarenceville High School, he was coming off a long tour. He had been in Europe for a number of years, and he was uh, getting back his career, actually, was what was happening. And so he was completely worn out. He comes out in the first half, and he's barely can play. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, did I have the wrong idea about this guy? So he opens up the second half of the show with a little piece of a which used to be popular without a lot of people. He played Maria from West Side Story, just a little fragment of it. And was like, wow. And then he played his, the thing that brought him back, which is his version of MacArthur Park. And he, it goes up to uh, what be, would be known as a high A above high C, which very few people can do. And when he did that, the whole place exploded in, in, in applause. I mean, it was like uh, some sort of champion boxer it just landed a, a great punch, you know, and that kind of thing. So it was amazing. You never heard anything like it. And that was at Clarenceville. That was at Clarenceville. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, the that aspect in that era, from what I understand as well, is you would get some of the, the most iconic global musicians and just by the nature of how music worked in that time. And they would be showing up oh, in yes. places like Clarenceville, oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. you know, without the internet and Spotify and all those things, like, and as a, as a person who loved music, you really had to go seek it. Oh yes. And oh, find yes, it. Sure. I know uh, a place that I've been a couple of times that I find a joy in is Cliff Bell's. Oh yeah. Uh, down... I played there. All right. <laughs> Mike, you are amazing. Like this is a conversation that I think could go on forever. Um, so many, kernels and pieces of what you talked about, about what great teaching is. But uh, what I'm sure our listeners are going to hear is the absolute joy in your voice about music and about people. Oh, yeah. In oh, your yeah. own curiosity in people. And, and to me, that is a gift that you have and a gift that, that public educators uh, can have. But you, your curiosity, I've also had the privilege of seeing it at half times and seeing how you interact with the kids. And one thing about you, that I've noticed is your humility. Uh, it is never about you. Uh, I, I've watched it, I've seen it. Um, you know, we've all seen certain band directors who it's definitely all about, uh, you know, those personalities that can share. Yeah, 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 we have no names, please. But you and I have both experienced that in our lives. And, and I really think uh, uh, it's not a secret, but one of the hallmarks of your success is that kids feel safe with you. They feel like they can try that if as long as they give you their level best effort and you know that they have yeah. you're okay it's there's no need to to make anybody feel less than because they might be right, struggling right, with something right, right. Uh, a couple of questions uh left here but what do you think is the most difficult marching band instrument to play well when you're Ooh. marching when you're marching boy well physically i think the sousaphone is is the the, the biggest challenge because you have to breathe as with all wind instruments you have to breathe for yourself and the instrument at the same time and there's no resistance on a sousaphone so it's like trying to go put your nose on the wall and blow the wall down 
So there's no resistance. So you're oftentimes kids will hyperventilate, you know, or they just stop playing and just take a breath because they just, uh, you know, there's <laughs> well, concerned about the, the, you know, staying upright. But I think that that's the, that's it. one of the amazing things is there, they, they, some kids wear it as a badge, you know, they might be five foot two and they got this big horn on and they're showing it off. And I've had a lot, both male and females, I uh, had a lot of kids get into it that way. And that pride. Oh, absolutely. And, and oh, that, yeah. And the louder, the better. So, uh, you know, I, one of that, I, I think um, louder -er is better -er in my <laughs> ears, uh, not necessarily for everybody, but that visceral feeling. And, and I think as well, what band, and I'm sure you've seen this, gives so many kids who might not feel like they fit in other areas of their life. Oh, sure. And they build a culture and a family and a pride in their own abilities. You yeah. talked about that kid who's five foot two and the sousaphone's probably what, five foot one when you stand <laughs> one up? Like, yes. it's amazing that they're even upright, <laughs> but that they can master something that's difficult and feel pride in it and know that you count on them to deliver. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I'm always asking them for more. Always asking them for it. As a matter of fact, that is the hardest thing to teach. Play louder. Play louder, play louder, play louder. Why? We need you. The, the score says we need you. We need you. So more is better. No need to be a shrinking violet for you. No, Let's please go, don't. Right? Please don't. Yeah. I can't tell you how much this conversation, I, I mean, I think we could go on for another hour, frankly. <laughs> uh, but really, I, I, I just, I, before we're going to get into our final five questions, I just, I want to sincerely thank you for the impact that you've had here in our Northville public schools and community is I've learned a bit about your past and who you are, your thoughtfulness, your amazing professionalism, the people that you've met and seen, the fact that for 49 years that our families have benefited from you, <laughs> we're lucky. Thank and you. I just want to thank you for that. Thank you. So we, uh, well, before you go yeah. on, if I could thank, one person who's really oh, important. Please, to me. no, let this is your yeah. show. Let I, it go. Well, well, I, my wife, Mary, tell us about Mary. Found, found out a whole long time ago that if she didn't become involved with the marching band, she'd never see me. So, so tell, she, tell us. So she tell has me. become, she has become uh, assistant band director and uh, she's hung in there all these decades. We've been married 44 years. Wow. And uh, she's been uh, my rock and my support. And uh, with her, uh, it was love at first sight. Mm -hmm. It wasn't so much for me because I, wow, you know, <laughs> she was ready to marry me after the first date. So, uh, uh, but uh, I owe her uh, so much, really everything. Well, and her yeah, support. I met Mary before I met you. So I came hunting around the high school. Oh, right. And okay. I was looking for you and you were out doing your job. I think you're out in the parking lot with the kids you're practicing. Yeah, yeah. And she introduced uh, herself to me. And, and it was really easy for me to then see now that the more I know um, the environment and culture that you and she have built in the band program here at Northville and the, the joy that people feel and the kids feel uh, with being with you. And uh, it's probably a pretty good strategy for her, though, if she was going to, I mean, now seeing everything True. you do, like if she wanted to have a chance of seeing you, right? Yeah, she and she's uh, she teaches history. Uh, she's uh, she was at the Academy of Sacred Heart uh, uh, for a long, long time. Now she's at uh, uh, another place. Uh, and so uh, but uh, she enjoys teaching, too, and along with 
all of my stuff. And, so, and this uh, is your chance great. as well, if you want to give any shout outs to people <laughs> here. Or, uh, or... Uh, well, uh, another very important assistant is Joanne Rahep, has been uh, with me for years and years, and uh, she's been very helpful and with the marching band and uh, uh, doing all kinds, of, uh, all kinds of paperwork is what it ends up being, but it's vital to the program, so I want to thank her and her dedication to the program, and I know she's a real marching band fan, and and so that's where she really uh, enjoys her uh, her involvement in the band program. And as we mentioned before, it's it's like being a, a five star general. I mean, you have an ecosystem, a team, right. That you no, can't sure, succeed sure. unless those people are there with you. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I know you respect them, and they respect you, and that is a really kind of simple bottom line. Like, yeah. let's be good to each other. Oh yeah, let's get after it, yeah. and let's get have some joy in this world. Absolutely. And that's where music comes in. Yeah. So I have a final five questions for you, Mike, and this will okay. be consistent. So the first one is your favorite place to eat in the Ville. Wow. That's that's a hard one. Actually, the one that I go to most is actually just across the border in Plymouth, Leo's. Okay. But uh, one of the businesses that I really like in town, and they happen to be an eatery and some other things at Genetti's. Oh, they've been so, so helpful and so supportive of the community. Oh, it's just amazing. Been so oppressed with Janetti's. Uh, uh, it was um, homecoming yep. and I'm yep. down in the end zone and there's this beautiful spread there. Food, you know, alumni yep. are coming back, band alumni, football alumni and so on. And I found out that Janetti's was behind that. Oh, sure, sure. And, and that's amazing. How about your favorite place in the world to visit? If you could marry, oh, you could go somewhere sure. and uh, cost that, wasn't a, a, a factor. Let's say the two of you are going, where are you going? Well, uh, when I was at uh, playing in the Michigan Symphony Band, uh, we traveled Europe for a month. And the place that really stuck out to me was Rome. Mm. We were in Rome, Italy, and I love ancient history. And it was just amazing. I even have pictures of myself holding up one of the pillars in the forum. <laughs> and uh, But I went to every possible place, including the Vatican. I mm -hmm. visited the Vatican. Now, I'm, I'm a Christian, but I'm not a, a, a Catholic. Mm -hmm. and, and I get blessed by the Pope. So I thought that was a pretty good deal, too, you know? Why not? You, you know, know, in, in a, a place like Rome, and, and as you said, and as, I didn't know you are a fan of history, but every corner you turn, I'm sure, was, oh, oh absolutely. there's that. Yes. Here's where this oh happened. Here's yeah. where this happened. And seeing it had to it's... be mind-blowing. Oh, yeah. I mean, just going into the Coliseum and you're wow. like, oh, oh, that's the basement. Oh, okay. I get it. You know, so it was amazing. It was just utterly amazing. So I would go back to Rome in a second. All right. Well, I hope uh, I hope you and Mary do that. And you. Uh, you enjoy uh and deserve the opportunity to go back and enjoy that. So here's a, a question. It's a pretty quick answer. Pineapple on pizza, yes or no? Ooh, I'm a no on that one. I'm a pretty basic pizza guy. All right. And uh, all right, well, I'm not going to judge uh, on that. <laughs> I, I don't want to tip my hand on where I'm at, but let's just say that your answer would have been my answer. Uh, final of the of the final five questions is I'm going to ask you if, uh, if you could have a superpower, uh, which of one of these three would you choose and why? The first choice is invisibility. The second choice is the ability to fly. And the third choice is time travel. Oh, time travel. I figured after we, yeah. after this conversation, yeah. <laughs> right? So so if you jumped into your Wayback Machine, uh, where do you think the first place you'd go, go would be? Well, I would visit one of the great composers 
probably uh, first visit would be to Beethoven. Mm. You know, to think of what happened to him and what he had was tinnitus in the worst possible way. And uh, it, they would have been able to do something for him now. Uh, but it was impossible. And uh, they have uh, a piano of his where all the wires and the interior are all broken because he was desperately trying to play loud enough to hear it. So mm -hmm. he would put his ear on the piano itself and he'd bang on it. So just to see him go through the process of how do you write some of your best music without ever hearing it? Because he was completely gone in the past just at the very end of his life with some of the greatest stuff, the Ninth Symphony and some other tremendous, how? It, I mean, it shows that music is in the brain. It's not in the ear, it's in the brain. But how do you do it? Love to see the process. Wow. Well, Mike, I cannot thank you enough, Mr. Rumbell, for spending time with us, sharing yourself uh, with our community for 49 years, uh, impacting lives, being truly one of those uh, those people that uh, is way beyond a Mustang moment, but a Mustang lifetime. And I'm, I'm sincerely grateful for you, even though I'm new around here. Um, <laughs> Thank you. I would like to hope that uh, I can identify real in a heartbeat. And um, one of the reasons I came looking for you uh, is I, I had seen you out in the parking lot doing some summer band piece with kids. And I just, your way of being, you didn't, I didn't have to hear anything you said. So I really want to meet this guy. And then <laughs> as I dig in and we have this conversation, um, thank you so much. Sure. Thank you to Mary and everybody else. And, uh, and be well. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yep. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Mustang Moments. Our school district is amazing simply because of the people that are a part of it. As you listen to this episode, hopefully what you heard was the amazing aspects of what each of our, our folks bring and their unique skill sets and experiences. Um, and without them, really, the Northville community and the Northville Public Schools wouldn't be what they are, which are fantastic places to be, fantastic places to learn, uh, to live. So please stay curious out there and be well.